0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the very first episode of Sips and Sensibility. How are you ladies doing tonight?
1: I'm good. I'm a little hot. I'm in my um, my closet right now, and the air circulation is not great, let me tell you.
2: I am also in my closet, and I'm also drinking, spoiler alert, some
0: tea, so... Uh... Oh yes, I feel the heat, but I'm drinking cold beverages. So mm. yeah, I'm also wearing
1: I'm wearing a long sleeve t-shirt because uh, I was changing after work and I noticed that my husband was wearing olive green shorts and a long sleeve gray t-shirt. So of course, I put on olive green shorts <laughs> and a long sleeve gray t-shirt. <laughs>
2: Oh my gosh, I feel like our listeners need to know that Beth loves to mashy match people. <laughs> Especially
1: when they don't like it, and also they don't realize that it's happening.
0: <laughs> so just to give you all a little background on how this pod came to be, um, I think it was at midnight about a month ago, Beth texted me. And of course I am awake because I am a night owl. And she said, let's do a podcast. I really want to do a podcast. What should we do it about? And I immediately jump on the wagon because that's just who I am. Let's do it. Let's roll. Uh, I think we went through, what, a couple? We thought about baking at first, and that didn't really work. Baking didn't seem like
1: it would translate well to a podcast.
0: Um, And then I think we settled on Jane Austen pretty
1: quickly.
2: I, Julia, was uh, introduced into the podcast because the second they announced that they were going to be doing a podcast together, I was filled with a jealous rage. And (laughs) I immediately texted uh, Beth and Lori, I think separately, and I was like, oh my gosh, guys, I'm like kind of jealous because I would love to be a part of this because I love Jane Austen so much and you guys. And they graciously allowed me into the podcast. So that is why the podcast is now a three-woman operation. Because I'm nosy and butted my head in. So thanks, guys. But it's great. We
0: couldn't do it without you. Three heads are better than one, my friend. Because we've all been connected since the beginning of college. We've all done Jane Austeny things together.
1: Oh, yeah. We are blessed to live together. <laughs> Second floor of Bell Hall. The honors program floor at Georgia College, where we connected and became BFFs. I feel like
2: we're probably going to talk about the second floor of Bell Hall more than once on this podcast. So that was the honors dorm at our school. And, man, it just sparked so many memories, so many friendships.
0: Freshman year was wild, man. And, And not in the normal college definition of wild. Let us be clear. We're
1: into puzzles and hot tea. In Jane Austen, as evidenced by this podcast.
2: Yeah, I think um, the fact that we have a podcast about Jane Austen and we were living on the honors dorm should very quickly inform everybody that we were really weird and very (laughs) nerdy.
1: So speaking of how this podcast came to be, uh, let me tell you a little bit about myself. My name is Beth and I'm married to Ben. And we just celebrated, or we're about to celebrate, actually, our nine-month wedding anniversary, so it's still very fresh and new, and it's been wonderful. We got married last December. And we have an eight-year-old golden retriever named Rush, but you would not know that he's eight, except for a little bit of white on his snout, because he behaves just like a puppy. He also has really bad anxiety, and we have to give him medication for it. I
0: feel that, Rush.
1: We live in South Carolina, and... I work for a church on their communications team. I actually professionally work on podcasts. So it's super fun to get to do this one personally. In my free time, I enjoy baking, especially bagels right now. It's what I'm really into. And a friend came over before this and dropped off Amish friendship bread for me to make. So that's going to be my next project.
0: You want to ship some of that to me?
1: Actually, I have to divide it between four people. So maybe I can figure out a way to mail some to you. I first fell in love with Jane Austen when my mom and I watched the 2005 Pride and Prejudice with Keira Knightley. And I just cannot verbally describe my love for that movie to you. I don't know what it was, but it's like something inside of me clicked when I watched it. And I hate rewatching movies. Like, I'm not a fan of rewatching TV shows or movies. I I just don't. I'm not on that trend at all. But I have probably rewatched this version of Pride and Prejudice at least 20 times. I don't know. Normally it's multiple times a year. And I think I saw it for the first time when I was in middle school. So I have rewatched this countless times and it just feels, feels like home to me. It feels comforting and warm and it's just so beautiful. I mean, the music, the scenery, the romance, the hand flex. Oh, that hand flex. It gets to me every time. It's just so beautiful and so good, and I just love that story. When I got to college, I was just so excited about other people feeling that same way, so I actually started out college as a a math major, and quickly found that that was not (laughs) what I was supposed to do, and switched to English and rhetoric, but I was so excited. I got to take courses. This is like such a big deal, because I went from taking Calculus 3 to a class that was called Jane Austen on film and it was amazing we studied Jane Austen movies and tv shows and web series and we got to do projects on it and it was like a dream come true that class did not feel like school it felt like all of my inner joy and happiness coming out and being real life and I loved it and I'm just a full-blown Austenite now I think I've seen almost I would say I've seen almost every single adaptation of Jane Austen that exists out there in the world and like everything adjacent to it. My, my love runs deep.
2: I think that's so cool, Beth, that you um, mentioned the 2005 Pride and Prejudice because I know that I feel that same way about it. It wasn't my first, but I know that I feel that same way. And Lori feels that same way as well. And I feel like that 2005 Pride and Prejudice with Freaking Kira Knightley did that for so many girls, especially American girls our mm-hmm. age, because we knew her from, you know, um, I think probably Pirates of the Caribbean at the time.
0: Yeah, I think that was the main one.
2: Yeah. And it just opened the door to Jane Austen for all of us. And once you kind of dive in with Pride and Prejudice, you get to read her other novels and you just see that the beauty of what she writes runs so much more Deeply than just the beauty that you saw in the film like the characters that she writes and the romances are so real So I think that's awesome. So I'll go ahead now and do my little introduction. Uh, My name is Julia I was born and raised in Georgia. I'm a Georgia peach as some people in Alabama say (laughs) but currently I'm living in Birmingham, Alabama with my husband Austin Uh, We got married this past July. We're actually, tonight, the night we're recording this, is our two-month anniversary. Um, So we're still living that newlywed life, but we are really loving it. Oh, and yes, of course, in case anyone was wondering, Beth and Lori were my bridesmaids. Well, some of my bridesmaids. So we are deeply ingrained in each other's lives. Like Beth, I majored in English literature in college, but I did not start out as a math major. That was just not my passion. So I majored in English Lit in college and I knew that that's what I wanted to major in from the beginning. Um, I loved in high school, uh, Jane Austen and Shakespeare and um, F. Scott Fitzgerald, just all the classics. I loved lit and wanted to major in it. I also minored in theater in college, which was super fun. So between English and theater, I just became a huge fan of research, whether that's delving into researching novels or researching playwrights and characters in plays and doing characterizations for um, acting projects. I just decided I loved research. I loved great writing and I loved live theater. So all of that has just really helped me develop more my love of Jane Austen, even though I never got to take that wonderful Jane Austen on film course that Bess was talking about. And trust me when I tell you that I wanted to take that class. um, I took multiple classes on Shakespeare and multiple classes where Jane Austen was studied. And it just made me appreciate her more and more. In my senior year, I actually studied Northinger Abbey and that just opened my eyes not only to just Jane Austen's like incredible writing ability, but also just her critical approach to her own time period. Um, We'll probably talk about that novel later on in our podcast, but Northanger Abbey is like seriously genius. So last year I taught high school English and got to spread my love of Austin and Shakespeare to high schoolers. And right now I'm currently teaching at a preschool and daycare and just loving on kiddos. But in my free time, I love cooking making lattes, and practicing my calligraphy uh, and reading. So that's what I like to do in my spare time. As I've said, I love Shakespeare as well as Austen, so I'm probably going to bring him up as much as possible. So I hope that doesn't bother anyone. And although I too love the 2005 Pride and Prejudice, as I've already expressed, I was actually introduced to Jane Austen's work through the 1996 adaptation of Emma with Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, my parents showed me and my sister one night on a vacation, I think it was about 12 years old. And I was just blown away. Um, even though the cinematography is not quite as advanced in this movie as it is in Pride and Prejudice, I just thought the costumes and the music were beautiful. And I loved watching the evolution of Gwyneth Paltrow's Emma as she learns more about life and as she slowly but surely falls in love with Mr. Knightley and comes to appreciate who he is because, oh my gosh, Mr. Knightley is just like the perfect Austin man to be introduced to, in my opinion. Mr. Darcy's great, but Mr. Knightley is, he's just such a great character. So I was blown away and I've seen that movie just dozens of times. In fact, my family has an inside joke. Um, There's a line in that film that comes from the book where Mr. Knightley is talking to Emma and he says, I know how you like news. And whenever tea is about to be spilled, my dad frequently says that to my mom and my sisters. Also, I named my first car Mr. Knightley. So you can imagine a 16-year-old driving around in a car named Mr. Knightley. I was not very cool, but I loved Jane Austen a lot. Um, And I just fell in love with her unique and quirky and spunky characters in that movie. So I've just been obsessed with Austen ever since. So yeah, that's pretty much my connection to Mr. Knightley. I'm sure we'll talk about this book later, but I also just feel like I need to plug here that although I loved the 2005 Pride and Prejudice and Emma was my first Austin, I am full-blown Sense and Sensibility number one fan. So we'll talk about that more later, I'm sure. Julia is Marianne. (laughs) Yeah, I guess we'll probably talk about that. But yeah, the reason that I love Sense and Sensibility so much is because I just identify with Marianne Dashwood as a person. She is just kind of my uh, inspiration. Well, not my inspiration. She has her faults, but she is my soul sister. And we are incredibly similar.
1: And it's validating to see a character so similar to you in literature. It really is. I saw her on screen and just... Felt
2: so connected, and you know, oh gosh, she just made me feel understood. So that was a really cool feeling. And the fact that her character was portrayed in the film that I saw by Kate Winslet just made it even better. So
0: I guess I will round us out with introductions. I am Lori. I moved to Georgia in eighth grade after four moves. So my family is well adapted to picking up and moving across the country. Um, But ever since then, I've been here, and it's been a grand old time. I do consider myself a Southerner uh, from Texas and Georgia. You know, you kind of get ingrained. But I've known Beth since high school. We went to the same high school. I would say we became friends more the end of senior year. Yeah, And then – really our freshman year in college. We were yeah. sweet mates.
1: I think we met in eighth grade, Lori. is that when we yeah. met in Georgia? Eighth mm-hmm. grade. You came over yeah. to my neighborhood for a pool party. <laughs> That's my first memory of you. In college we were lucky enough to become sweetmates. It was actually totally random. We became sweetmates and we just became the best of friends.
0: Thank God we were sweet mates, man.
1: I cried on the floor of Lori's room many times.
2: That was just such beautiful foreshadowing for all of the crying on the floor that we would do later, all three of us in each other's rooms, just at various
1: points. And when we we became roommates off campus, too.
0: Yeah, Beth and I were sweet mates. And then I would say, what, second semester freshman year, Jules? Oh, yeah, I'd say, I don't know. Our friendship is so funny to me because
2: (laughs) I knew who you were first semester. And then we kind of became closer second semester for sure. But then something happened sophomore year and we were just like super tight. So I don't know.
0: After college, um, I moved back to our delightful hometown that Beth and I are from. It's just me right now with my dog Watson. I am the only single one on this podcast. My dog Watson is probably the only man in my life besides my father. Uh, So he gets pretty much all my attention. Uh, If I'm not at home, I am at the library. I am a librarian. So I feel like uh, a book podcast is very appropriate for me. My favorite film. Well, I just, I really do resonate with the 2005 PNP. I mean, hello. It's Karen Knightley. She can do no wrong. That is my favorite film. It definitely sparked, I think I saw that my sophomore year of high school, but it really became a film that I would rewatch in times of sadness and romantic longing. But yeah, so Pride and Prejudice is definitely my favorite Jane Austen novel. I currently collect Pride and Prejudice, uh, different editions of Pride and Prejudice. I think I'm on my ninth or tenth book. Uh, with the latest being from my study abroad trip to London. I have not bought a new edition since then. It's been like two or three years. Um, But that one is pretty close to my heart because I found it on a boat bookstore. Well,
1: each week while we record the podcast, we're actually going to be sipping on some sort of beverage. Wine, tea, or coffee. It doesn't really matter as long as it's good. So ladies tell me what are you sipping on tonight
0: well uh my friends i currently am sipping on some celebratory champagne uh and no i did not buy a giant bottle of champagne just for this podcast although that (laughs) would be very apt for me now wouldn't it that's very laurie any occasion any occasion is a good occasion to celebrate for me um, but no, it's actually one of the little mini champagne bottles that was left over from Julia's wedding that was in my fridge. So I decided to pop that and uh celebrate our first episode. Julia, what you uh what you sipping on?
2: I am sipping on some vanilla tea, uh with a little bit of honey in it. So it's uh it's Keeping me warm.
0: Complete opposite ends of the spectrum right here. Truly complete opposite ends of the spectrum.
2: It honestly it's it's really good, but I think we're gonna talk about that later. So I don't wanna I don't wanna spoil it. Um but I have my uh, vanilla tea with a little bit of a honey in it. Beth, what are you sipping on?
1: Well, every time Ben and I go visit my parents in Atlanta, we get a Trader Joe's because we are obsessed with the frozen Indian food that you can buy there. Like chicken tikka masala is like our go-to meal right now. And so we go and we stock up. This is so funny, but we stock up and this is all that's in our cart. When we go to Trader Joe's, it's just packs of frozen chicken tikka masala and wine. (laughs) Because they have such good deals on wine. That's like very college student of you, I must say. I know. (laughs) But that's what we get, and we love it. And their wine is really good. And Ben doesn't really, he doesn't really drink much wine, but he really likes. His favorite kind of wine is a petite sirah. Mm. I'm sure I'm butchering that pronunciation. I, I don't know what that is. I'm not. But it's a type of red wine. We're strictly red wine fans over here in our household. Mm. But we found this other kind. So we got a petite Syrah, and we got a merlot, which is my favorite. But then we also got something. Oh, I'm going to ruin this. It's a Syrah Garancha. I believe it's Syrah Garantia.
0: <laughs> the only one of us who actually studied French.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it sounds much better. I don't actually think it's a French name, but maybe. It's really good. I'm embarrassed to say that I have almost finished my glass.
0: Girl, <laughs> you might need a refill.
1: And a note for the audio. There's just a small ring left in the bottom. So I may have to text my husband and get him to bring me more to my my closet studio here.
2: (laughs) The royal treatment. Well, now that we've covered what everybody is sipping, we're going to jump in and let you guys know that this episode is going to be just a tad bit different from what we're planning to do for future episodes. So as Lori previously mentioned um, from the origin story of this podcast, Most of the episodes are going to be focusing on Austin adaptations, but because every adaptation has a source material, we think it's really important to study that source material first. So this first inaugural episode will be focusing on the novel that we're going to be studying the rest of this season. So the novel that we will be discussing tonight is going to be from please. Emma! We are going to be discussing Emma. I don't know about you guys, but I'm super psyched to start this. I was really enjoying going back over that novel. There's so much more in it than I realized the first time that I read it. So with all that, ladies, let's
1: get down to business. Julia, you're so right. I'm so excited to talk about Emma. There's so many, so many promising adaptations. There's just such a wide variety for that one, and I'm I'm really excited to talk about it with you guys. I'm really looking forward to hearing your thoughts on some things. I have a lot of thoughts. I'm not going to lie. I'm looking at you, uh, 2020 Emma. So So, like I just said, there's going to be a lot of thoughts and opinions that are going to be shared. We're going to be talking a lot about Austin and her work, but I just want you guys to know that our opinions are our own. they are not meant to be offensive and you can definitely disagree with us. I mean, I'm, Pretty positive Julie and I are gonna disagree about the 2020 M. Definitely will. I'm just preparing myself for that right now. So feel free to disagree with us on some things and please share your opinions with us. Like we would love to know what other people think. So
2: basically everything Beth just said is a fancy way to say, please don't come for us in the comments of our podcast if you disagree with us. They're just opinions. And if you disagree with
1: us, you can tell us politely. Please and thank you. To give us a basis for the films and shows we're going to be talking about this season, we first want to talk about Austen's own work, Emma. In this episode, we're going to give you a summary of the characters, an overview of the story, and talk about some themes. While we recommend reading all of Austen's work for yourself, because it's amazing, we hope this episode can be a guide for you as we dive into all the different adaptations of Emma in future episodes. Basically, this is like the spark notes of Emma episode i'm gonna tell you guys just start off with the characters and just let you know the who's who of jane austen's emma all right so i've i've just got to start with our title character emma so emma woodhouse is the star of this novel as the title implies this novel begins with a very famous and well-studied first line that says Emma Woodhouse, handsome, clever, and rich, with a comfortable home and happy disposition, seemed to unite some of the best blessings of existence and had lived nearly 21 years in the world with very little to distress or vex her. So you can kind of get from that that Emma is not your typical Austen heroine. She's wealthy and in a position of power. She's beautiful, and it does seem like she's liked by all. She's kind of bored, basically. Like, her dad keeps her in the house. He doesn't really want her to get married. She doesn't really want to get married herself right now. So she decides to take up a habit. And the habit that she picks up is matchmaking.
2: Something that I noticed um, is, like, kind of right from the beginning, Austin is kind of warning the audience that Emma is about to go through something. Um, And one thing in the line that hints that, it says, Emma Woodhouse, handsome, clever, and rich with a comfortable home and happy disposition seemed to unite some of the best blessings of existence. So that seemed to unite is kind of implying that maybe she's not uniting all of the best blessings mm. of existence and that her 21 years without much, much to vex her may come back to bite her in the butt. And honestly, that's all that this novel is about. Like she's had this life that's been so easy and she's been so well liked and people haven't crossed her ever and so this leads her to make some of the mistakes that she's about to about to make
1: yeah thanks for putting that out Jules really putting that uh, English literature degree to good use well you know (laughs) so of course next we have Emma's love interest in the story Mr. George Knightley oh he's so dreamy (laughs) they always do a good job of casting him in the movies at least I think so um It's kind of has, like, a guy-next-door vibe before, like, the guy-next-door. Because he's
2: literally the guy-next-door. He literally
1: (laughs) is. They have this playful, almost, brother-and-sister relationship, which makes sense because his brother is actually married to Emma's sister. Uh, He is a stand-up guy. He's noble and courteous. And one thing that you pick up kind of quickly is that he can be a little bit harsh with Emma at times. He's not afraid to, like, call her out on some stuff. But it does come from, like, a loving and kind place within him.
2: And honestly, you it's so funny because you see that at the beginning of the novel. Like, I think it's the first or second chapter. And the chapters aren't very long where Emma's like, I want to start matchmaking. And her dad's like, oh, yes, Emma, you can do no wrong. <laughs> <laughs> And Mr. Knightley is like Emma, don't stick your nose in other people's butts. Get out of there. You don't know what you're doing. All of your matchmaking history that you're saying that you have, you didn't actually matchmake anybody. Don't do it. And you know what? If he had listened to her, this novel would have been very boring because nothing would have gone wrong. He was literally saying, "Check yourself before you wreck yourself." And what did she do? She wrecked herself.
1: Speaking of sticking her nose in things where it doesn't belong. Oh, gosh. Next up to talk about, we have Harriet Smith. Oh, Harriet. So Harriet is just, she's, I mean, there's really no other way to say it. She's just like completely average in every way. Mm -hmm. She doesn't have the beauty or the wealth or the position that Emma has. But she catches Emma's eye and she kind of becomes Emma's pet project. And she is really the focus of Emma's matchmaking efforts in this story. So there's a lot of antics that happen, a lot of misunderstandings and crushes and romance kind of surrounding Harriet, but really it's kind of all Emma orchestrating it, and Emma learns some of those big lessons in this story through that character. All right, so next up we have Frank Churchill. So he's kind of the son of a family friend. He is handsome. But he is very shallow and also really charming. And he catches Emma's eye right away. But he does have a pretty big secret that he is holding in. A secret? What? And Jane Austen? Uh, Then we also have Miss Bates. She has none of the good fortune that Emma has. She's not wealthy or young or pretty. But she is kind. Unfortunately, though, she does find herself the brunt of a rather nasty joke on Emma's part. Which ends up being kind of a turning point in the book for Emma's character. And then we have Jane Fairfax. She is a relative of Miss Bates. She is talented, she is beautiful, and she is well-loved. Jane is talked about a lot throughout the novel and mentioned, but not introduced until later on. And Emma doesn't really think about her too much. But then when she comes in, she sees how accomplished she is and how the men treat her. Emma starts to get a little jealous. I think she honestly feels kind of threatened.
2: Oh, for sure. I also think it's hilarious (laughs) how Jane Austen always names like the perfect, beautiful, quiet, talented characters in her novel, Jane. I mean, we have Jane Firefox and Emma and then you have Jane Bennett in Pride and Prejudice who's like the quintessential perfect woman.
1: And then we have... To be honest, my least favorite character, Mr. Philip Elton. He is the vicar at the local church and Emma's choice for Harriet's husband. First choice. Yes, first choice. Yikes. <laughs> there are a lot of choices, but he is the first. And
2: honestly, the only character that I dislike more than Mr. Elton is Mrs. Elton.
1: The last character I'm going to tell you about is Mr. Woodhouse. He is Emma's father, and he's kind of a dull and very particular man. He likes things to be a certain way. He dotes on Emma, and he is very wealthy. In my, my opinion, there is absolutely no better version of Mr. Woodhouse than Bill Nye in a 2020 version
0: of Emma. Is that Bill Nye the science guy? <laughs> Lori!
1: We'll leave that for further discussion later, but I'm just going to drop that nugget in now. All right, so that's kind of our characters for you. Julie, do you want to run us through just kind of like a brief summary of of what all is going on in Emma? Tell us what goes down. The novel Emma Begins with Emma's governess slash
2: nanny, Mrs. Weston, getting married. So Emma's had Mrs. Weston in the house for about 22 years and her moving away about a mile down the road, which, oh my gosh, it's so long in that time period. <laughs> is It's a really big deal to Emma um, and Mr. Knightley kind of indicates to us that Mrs. Weston is a bit of a conscience for Emma, right? Because everybody else in her life is like, oh, she's perfect. Like, especially her dad, she can do no wrong. So Mrs. Weston leaves and this leaves a void in Emma's heart. And so she befriends Harriet Smith, who is going to school at the local boarding school. She is a flatterer and she just boosts Emma's vanity and Emma in turn boosts her vanity. And basically her pet project is to help make sure that Harriet's running in the right circles because nobody knows who Harriet's connected to. And so she needs to have good connections to boost her position in society. So she decides to set Harriet up with Mr. Elton. Previously, Harriet had been in love. Well, we get the idea that she was in love, right? She has all the signs of having feelings. She talks about this book. She recommended him, but she was in love with a man named Robert Martin, who was a farmer. So Emma told her that he was not good enough and she was pretty mean about it. And she decides to set harriet up with a mr elton um shortly after she's decided to set mr elton and harriet up mr martin proposes to harriet and oh my goodness i know and it's with this really sweet and thoughtful letter and emma even recognizes that it's thoughtful but she's like no not good enough and then mr knightley poor mr Knightley, he's like oh my gosh emma this is so exciting uh robert martin proposed to harriet and i was like haha not if i have anything to say about it and he's like what Mr. Knightley and Emma kind of get in a fight about it. So Mr. Martin proposes to Harriet and Harriet says no. Then Emma continues with her plot to connect Mr. Elton and Harriet. And she just really, Emma really misreads the signals on this one, guys. There's a painting that Emma does of Harriet and the way that Mr. Elton reacts to it. She's just misreading all of the signals. And this kind of comes to a head at this Christmas party that they have. Harriet can't attend because she's sick. And Mr. Elton is, like, hanging on Emma's shoulder all night. And at the end of the night, he reveals that he has, in fact, been in love with Emma this whole time. And Emma is devastated and appalled. And shocked. Just so shocked. She's just, like, beside herself, okay? And she is appalled on behalf of Harriet as well, because Mr. Elton does not think Harriet is worthy of him. And so Emma feels really horribly because she basically pushed Harriet towards Mr. Elton, and Harriet takes the news pretty badly. She doesn't put any of it on Emma, of course, but she's very upset. So pretty quickly after this, Jane Fairfax and Frank Churchill arrive. Jane Fairfax is the niece of Mrs. Bates, who is a local woman in town, and Frank Churchill is the son of Mr. Weston from Uh, his first marriage. And Frank Churchill has this kind of allure about him. He's an enigma. Everybody's obsessed with Frank Churchill because he's very high society. So Jane and Frank arrive and Frank Churchill just charms everybody's pants off, especially Emma's. Emma loves him. And Emma and Knightley are both kind of respectively jealous of Jane and Frank. Jane is well-loved, and Emma gets very jealous of her because of that. And Frank is well-loved, and Mr. Knightley just hates him. He even at one point criticizes Frank Churchill's handwriting by saying it's too curly. So petty. Mr. Knightley's honestly really petty about this, and that's saying something because he's like, he's a great quality guy, you know? Yeah, he's a stand-up guy for sure. And I think those twinges of jealousy are kind of hinting to something that might be happening in the future between Emma and Mr. Knightley, but you didn't hear me say that. So, Jane and Frank arrive, and shortly after this, the new people are coming into town. Another person is introduced. Mr. Elton has gone off and found himself a wife, Mrs. Elton. And she is, if you even thought it was possible, even more annoying than Mr. Elton. She's really snobby and snooty, and Emma does not like her because she's she's not polite. And Emma's nothing if not polite to everyone all the time. So. She and Emma don't get along, but Emma's still polite to her, but Mrs. Elton can tell. And so she kind of, she and Mr. Elton tend to give Emma the cold shoulder. Shortly after this, Frank Churchill has to leave town for a little while. And as he's about to leave, he goes and visits Emma. And Emma's thinking that he's probably going to tell her that he loves her at this point. And she's wondering if she might love him too. He doesn't get to say that actually, but Emma's confident that that's what was going to happen. So Frank leaves. And pretty quickly after he leaves, Emma's like, hmm, it seems as though I'm just as happy with or without Frank Churchill being present. So I think I must not be in love with him.
1: That's a a pretty wise observation from Emma.
2: It really was. I mean, ladies, if you are just as happy with a certain man as you are without him being present with you, you're probably not in love with him. So shortly after this, Frank Churchill and Emma had kind of conspired together and decided that they thought a ball should happen and so frank has planned this ball with the help of his family and at this ball something very dramatic and horrible and devastating happens to poor miss harriet smith she is the only woman left not dancing and so mrs weston the kind-hearted woman goes up to mr elton and says hey you should ask harriet to dance and mr elton publicly rejects her he says, no, no, no. I don't want to dance with that girl. What is your? I know. It is honestly so rude. And it is devastating to poor Harriet. Very embarrassing. So then, Mr. Knightley comes to her rescue. And up until this point, Mr. Knightley hasn't really had anything nice to say about Harriet. He doesn't think she's really worth Emma's time. She's not her intellectual equal. And he points this out to Emma. She needs to be friends with somebody like Jane, who's more of her equal. But at this point... He talks about how sincere of a heart she has and that she did not deserve to be spurned by Mr. Elton like that. So Mr. Knightley saves the day. Shortly after this, right after the ball, Harriet has another dramatic experience in which she's walking home and gets attacked by a group of people. And then Frank Churchill saves Harriet's life. At this moment, Emma decides that Harriet should, in fact, be with Frank Churchill, not Mr. Elton. He saved her life, but she promises not to meddle. Fortunately, Harriet arrives to show Emma her box of obsessive Mr. Elton treasures. And honestly, it's kind of creepy, but she's like, you know what? I'm letting go. He hurt my feelings. So here's my box of Band-Aids and cotton balls. You
0: should get rid of it. It's really
2: middle school, like incredibly middle school. I had one of those in middle school. Honestly, I think we all did in one way or another. So at this moment, Harriet tells Emma that she has vowed she will never marry because the man that she is in love with is much too good for her. Emma immediately is like, oh my gosh, she's in love with Frank. I got to do something. I can't just sit back. Harriet says that the man that she's in love with is way too good for her and he saved her life. So she's like, absolutely, it's Frank. So she says, no, no, no. Without naming names, Emma says, no, no, no. This is perfect. You guys are great together. It'll be fine. Go for it. Shoot your shot, Harriet. But don't shoot your shot because decorum. Mrs. Elton decides to throw a picnic at Mr. Knightley's house. She also tries to invite the guests herself, which is really rude at that time because only Mr. Knightley should be allowed to invite people to his house. And he makes sure that he tells Mrs. Elton that only the future Mrs. Knightley will ever be allowed to invite people to his house. And we're like, oh, you want a Mrs. Knightley? Hmm, Interesting. There's a party. They have a little picnic, a little soiree. And at this party, everybody's in attendance, the Elton's. Frank Churchill, the Knightleys, Frank decides that they need to play a little game. Everybody can either say one very interesting thing, two moderately interesting things, or three very dull things to Emma to entertain her. Immediately, Mrs. Bates, Miss Bates, I'm sorry, she starts just running her mouth, as always, just talking about whatever, and it's very boring. And Emma cuts her off, and she says, if you're going to talk, you got to limit it to three boring things and Mrs. Bates knows exactly what Emma's implying. She's a blabbermouth and she doesn't have anything interesting to say and it hurts because Emma's never been anything but kind to her. Because she deserves it, right? Mrs. Bates, Miss Mrs. Bates and Miss Bates, they're poor, they don't have anything. So Emma's been compassionate, but Emma just she basically stabs her in the back in front of all their friends and Emma's an influencer, right? So the things that she does, the people that she likes and dislikes, they are That's the guide of what people in her community, who they like and who they dislike. Mr. Knightley is crushed. He tells Emma that she did not handle that situation well, that Miss Bates deserves her compassion. And he basically tells it to her straight and Emma starts to feel really bad. So Mr. Knightley leaves town. He goes to visit his brother and Emma's sister. And Frank then leaves town because his aunt has gotten sick. She's died. And Jane is about to leave town, too, because she's gotten a job as governess. So everybody's leaving, and Emma's by herself to think about her actions. She goes and apologizes to Miss Miss Bates, and she forgives her. So very quickly after everyone's left town, it is revealed that Frank and Jane have been secretly engaged this whole time. Surprise! Huge shocker. We didn't really get into it, but Frank was gossiping about Jane to Emma all the time, about all the men she could be in love with. And we figured out it's just to cover So Mrs. Weston feels horrible because she thinks that Emma was probably in love with Frank. But Emma tells him that, no, 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 I'm not in love with Frank. I got over that guy. But Emma immediately feels horrible again for Harriet Smith. Poor Harriet Smith. She's let her down to two men and they've both broken her heart. So Emma tells Harriet and Harriet says, oh, no, no, I knew about that. I'm not in love with Frank. Frank, I'm in love with Mr. Knightley. I'm in love with Mr. Knightley. So. Emma is crushed. Absolutely crushed. And she realizes in this moment that Harriet's vanity has just gone through the roof if she thinks she can deserve a man as good as Knightley, which is a little bit classist. I'm not going to lie. Emma realizes when Harriet says that she's in love with Mr. Knightley. She's like, no, nobody can have Mr. Knightley but me because guess what? Emma is in love with Mr. Knightley. Nobody's surprised. Emma is in love with Mr. Knightley and he is gone. So, When Mr. Knightley returns, he comes to talk to Emma and he's like, man, Emma, Frank and Jane, that's whack, yo. He probably didn't say it like that. But Mr. Knightley tells Emma about Frank and Jane. They talk about it. He's like, "Mm, Frank's going to bring Jane down. And then he says, but you know what? Frank has this one thing, this one thing that I'm jealous of. And I was like, what is it? He's like, your heart. Ah! Tears, tears. Here the waterworks, and Emma's like, oh my gosh, no, I don't love him. And then they confess their love
0: for each other and The man has escaped the friend zone, everyone. Everything's great, except it's not because
2: Harriet is still sad.
0: Poor Harriet.
2: Harriet is absolutely crushed. Thankfully, after Mr. Knightley and and Emma work out their marriage, they're gonna live at Emma's home with her dad so he doesn't get too perturbed by anything. Frank and Jane get married, and Harriet is again proposed to by guess who? None other than Mr. Robert Martin. And she accepts, as she should have. And Emma realizes, hey, I just made Harriet go through two heartbreaks for absolutely no reason. But at this point, she's grown. So Emma is happy and she's no longer meddling. And she gets to travel with Mr. Knightley and finally leave her home. And it's just a beautiful and glorious moment. The
0: end. And with that glorious summary we are going to move straight into themes we'll go over some just normal jane austen themes that you'll see throughout all of her novels and then some that are specific to emma so the ones that are kind of you know generic themes that everyone thinks of when you think of jane austen are of course the romance and relationships the wealth and class status which is Slightly different in this novel and female empowerment, kind of. We'll discuss that more in a second. The ones that are more specific to Emma that we will probably see in these adaptations are gendered space. So, in doing research for this preemptive episode, a lot of the things that were pointed out were how. The female characters and the male characters were always represented in very different areas where the male characters are often outdoors or, you know, doing things that are more generically manly and the female characters are in drawing rooms or inside or doing things that would not be befitting of a proper lady. Whereas in other Jane Austen novels, women are walking outside and, you know, doing other things that are just rather normal. There's a very memorable scene in the 2005
1: Pride and Prejudice where they're just like basically working on like ribbons and stuff like that. And like someone's cross-stitching, someone's reading and playing the piano, but we don't see that as much here. Is
0: that what you're saying, Laurie? Yeah, it's very much just space and this is your space. And this is the women's space, kind of that. There's no 2005 Lizzie Bennett standing on a cliff epic montage here. It would be Mr. Knightley is standing on the cliff. So it'll be interesting to look at the different adaptations and see how these directors decided, you know, are a lot of the women-on-women on women scenes only going to be inside? You know, that kind of a thing. In this novel, specifically in Emma the wealth and class status is a little switched and so is the female empowerment. So like what Beth and Julia were saying earlier, Emma is a different type of heroine. She's not, you know, middle class or poor or like desperately needing to marry in order to sustain herself. She's well off. That kind of switches the narrative of a normal Jane Austen novel. So that kind of throws her into this different aspect of okay she is fine financially she's fine intellectually she has a roof over her head that isn't going to disappear and it just kind of gives her this weird sense of entitlement which we will go into in a second uh, and doesn't force her to think of others or the impact of her actions as much That will be interesting to look at as how the different female actors might portray that. The other major thing that shows up here, as we have reiterated over and over and over, is how Emma seems to think one thing and it's actually something else. There is a lack of communication. Nothing is clear. And it's that power of imagination and misperception that's kind of wrapped up with her pride and vanity So it'll be interesting to see if in, say, one adaptation, you actually see what Emma's seeing or you see what the reality is. But those are the major themes. Uh, We will see how they are translated into those adaptations. So obviously, there are so many adaptations of this novel that we can't possibly cover every single one. But stick around and see if we cover your favorite.
1: All right, ladies. It is that time. It is deep end of the podcast so we started off talking about what we were drinking tell me how was it what rating would you give it and did you finish it a true sign of whether or not you enjoyed your beverage
2: my vanilla tea with a little bit of honey was just delicious it was warm it was sweet and it was just what i needed Um, I think I would give it probably an 8 out of 10 because I would like a little bit more complexity in my flavor next time. But there's nothing wrong with a strong, full-bodied vanilla. And to answer your question, I'm going to surprise you all by saying, yes, I did finish my tea.
1: Oh,
0: my goodness.
1: Julia is notorious for getting a cup of coffee at a coffee shop and drinking it for five hours.
0: So, Lori, what'd you think? Uh, It was pretty good, I'm not going to lie. I am a fan of sparkly uh, alcohols, but I will say it did go flat very quickly. So Mm. it just kind of became a, I would say, a middle-of-the-road white wine after about 30 minutes. So
1: That's unfortunate.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that really stinks. I'm not going to lie. I'm almost done. I haven't completely finished it. I am very warm, so the alcohol is kind of lending to that, so I've kind of stopped drinking it. But I mean, I'd say a solid six out of ten. It's not the worst thing I've ever drank.
1: Well, I am really I really enjoyed my wine. It was gone about fifteen minutes into the podcast. <laughs> that makes me sound like I'm just chugging wine. I think it's really important to note that I do not pour a very large glass of wine. I'm a very wimpy pourer, and so this is probably a normal person's half a glass. I really, I did enjoy this beverage. I've never had this kind of wine before. I'd probably give it a 7 out of 10. I think it's a little bit less sweet than what I normally go for. I don't know. It has more flavor than the wine that I typically drink, and I really enjoyed it. Okay, Lori, now that we have covered all of the characters, please tell me, in the novel, Emma, who would you date?
0: Ooh. oh i mean i'm just gonna have to go well actually this is kind of hard because is it though yeah it's not really i think maybe when we get to the adaptations it might be a little difficult and depending on who's playing uh frank it might be uh, i'm looking at you ewan
1: mcgregor yeah i yes. gonna be honest
0: <laughs>
1: really can't say no to that one
0: when you're reading the novel it's like ooh, yes Mr. Knightley, uh, you are my hot pick of the day. Uh, I would marry you in two seconds. but when you like visually see something, sometimes a pretty face is pretty dang distracting. I think for the actual novel, I will pick Mr. Knightley, but uh adaptations is to be seen. I think that's a wise choice,
1: Lori. All right, folks, we'll stay tuned to see who Lori picks in our next episode.
2: Well, with that, now that we've had our taste of Jane and we've talked about our sips, that's it for us. So share, rate, subscribe, and comment because that helps us out so much. You can follow us on Instagram at Sips and Pod. Or if you're over the age of 40, you can like our Facebook page, Sips and Sensibility Podcast. If you have any comments or concerns or suggestions for what you want to see on the podcast or hear, you can send us a DM on Instagram, you can comment on our page, or you can send us a Facebook message. And with all that, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye!